It's the True Penny Show with your host, James True Penny. Hello, welcome to the True Penny Show. My name is James True Penny. This is my show. And we're back at the G1 Climax in the Edeon Arena in Osaka, Japan. Still the Osaka Joe Hall to we try, we try and call it the Eddie on Arena, but it's Osaka Joe Hall, because that's the best name for a wrestling venue ever. Uh, we're at Osaka Joe Hall, and we're looking at nights 13 and 14 of the G1 Climax Tournament. And to join me for this auspicious occasion, will you please welcome back Mr. Mo Chatra at the Daily Mirror and various publications. How are you, sir? Yeah, really good. Really good, James. Um, it's been a good year since I was last on the show, um, covering the G1. <laughs> um in 2018 but uh yeah glad to be back at last and uh wow what a g1 it's been so far eh? i was going to say what's your overall impression of the tournament so far um it's been a really high standard um the consistency of um great matches has been um quite remarkable really and uh i thought well given the quality of last year and the year before and the year before that um (laughs) This year, we'd have a real hard time um, keeping pace with what we've seen in the last several years, especially in light of the fact that, you know, the likes of uh, Kenny Omega, for example, have um, obviously uh, moved on. So um, given that transition that New Japan has been through this calendar year, I thought, well, they do well to keep pace with what they've achieved on G1s in the last several bits. Not only have they kept up, some might argue that this has been the best one that to date thus far. So it really has been so impressive and a joy to watch, really. And Marcus Green was on our show last week, and he was saying that it seems to be, though though the, the tournament has been stretched out, and there's probably a few more rest days than there have been because they started in Dallas in kind of like the middle of July, and they've had a couple more rest days in certain places. It seems to have, the pace seems to have picked up, even though it's over a longer period of time there seems to be more like urgency to what's going on because of the amount of big dream matches that we're getting, like, um, you know, Kenta versus Akada and Tanahashi versus Kenta and Moxley versus Ishii and all these dream matches that have come up. Um, it seems to be like the pace has like just thundered along and it's not really dragged at all. Because even in, in a really good G1, you do get some matches where you're going, <laughs> but... Uh, this one hasn't been like that. I mean, I I must admit, I have not watched the tag matches just because I physically do not have time to watch all the wrestling I need to watch. So I've just concentrated on the G1 stuff. But even then, like everything has just moved along smoothly. And the like you said, the match quality has been absolutely through the roof. Even guys like Toriyano were having great wrestling matches, not just entertaining little five-minute clips here and there. But actually, on this night, he pulled out all the stops. And we'll talk about that in a little bit. But actual proper wrestling matches all the way through for all of the guys, which is really nice to see and of really high quality. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I think that what's helped this year is the fact that they have included a number of junior heavyweights, um, whether they wrestle in the junior heavyweight division or not. You know, the smaller guys, Will Ospreys, the Zack Sabre Juniors, um, Shingo, even though he's larger than a number of the heavyweights. <laughs> um, <laughs> And, uh, you know, several others um, has really added to the tournament. You know, these are elite workers and obviously uh, Kenta, who's come into the tournament with a lot to prove, having had a relatively, um, well, dismal WWE run. Um, you know, he, he's certainly uh, 
looked closer to the worker that just was amazing um, in the previous decade for Pro Wrestling Noah. And, um, you know, I, I think that's really up the quality and, um, you know, they, they feed off one another as well because they see Osprey having a good match or a great match and others want to uh, keep up with that standard. And, uh, you know, that, that's why I think we've seen a tournament that um, maybe four or five months ago, if you'd asked me, are we going to get a really great G1? I probably would have said, well, I think we'll see some great matches, but it probably won't live up to the standards of last several years. But I think the choices uh, for the tournament, the individuals that they've picked, um, in some cases have been inspired and uh, they, they have really done a good job in that respect. And uh, the dividends have been paying off with you know, one great match after another. Indeed. Right then, let's get down to the actual matches. We'll quickly flash through the tag matches to keep you up to date. Juice Robinson and Toa Henare defeated Ren Narita and Yota Suji. Uh, what are you thinking of Ren Narita there, uh, uh, Mo? Because he's, he's done some good stuff uh, for a rookie. Because I like to, because I haven't spoken to you for a while, I'd like to get your kind of like thoughts on these young people coming up. So what's your thoughts on, on Ren Narita? Have you seen much of his work? Um, I must admit, I haven't seen huge amounts. I am um, a bit like yourself. Um... Uh, with the amount of time limited and so many promotions out there. I mean, for, for listeners that aren't aware, I do watch or try to watch as much wrestling from around the world as possible. So in addition to New Japan, I'm, I'm probably watching about 20 other different Japanese promotions. Um, I try to now regularly once again watch um, AAA, CMLL and a host of indies across the US and UK and elsewhere. Um, so we've my my viewing is essentially picking out matches that either look like they'll be good or really good or great on paper, or mm. they've had a lot of hype. Um, so as a result, matches that are undercard matches on shows like these, and also just general New Japan shows, I tend to watch less of. But I still try and dip in and out just to see who is coming through, um, because obviously not only with New Japan, but even other promotions like Noah, um, All Japan, Dragon Gate, um and i've you know been on a major rediscovery of joshi as well uh this year and, and that's been a lot of fun and you know dip into um some of the undercard stardom matches for example and um you know that that gives me exposure to some of these younger talents but there's so much young talent coming through um and narita is um somebody that you know this caught my eye um certainly seems like somebody who um has something about him, you know, not just, I mean, the, the guys that generally come through New Japan, the Young Lions, are technically very sound. It's very rare to see one come through that isn't. Um, but you look for something that's just a little bit um, special, something different that stands them out. And I think that Narita um, does have an, a little bit of that. And uh, there is another rookie whose name I now forget from New Japan, um, who's been even more impressive a larger guy oh god what's his name that was Shota Umino by any chance yes it, yes it is in fact I saw him at um, a show last year I believe um, when New Japan ran some uh, cross promotion shows with Rev Pro and I think, mm. I'm pretty sure he was he was on that tour and I think they ran a show not far from you in Altrincham um, mm. just over a year ago and uh, he also looked very impressive so um, I think the future is certainly in safe hands with, um, you know, these guys. And uh, as I say, there are, you know, 
a host of young talent coming through other promotions as well, some of whom will, I think, eventually end up in, in New Japan um, because New Japan have been more open in recent years to bringing in talents that have come through other companies um, and developed elsewhere. Shingo being a, an obvious example um, yeah. for years, you know, was New uh, sorry, Dragon Gate, um, born and bred essentially, and um, really uh, honed his skills there and um, you know, became one of the leading workers in the world. And um, New Japan have brought him in and he's been an absolute diamond for them. He's been exceptional since he arrived in the company. And um, you know, that, that's really good to see that, you know, even for the talents that are coming through dojos for independent uh, promotions in Japan or even like Sonoma or Big Japan and others, um, they still have the opportunity to rise up to what is the clear preeminent uh, Japanese promotion in, in this day and age would be New Japan Pro Wrestling. Yeah, I think um, if you look back at traditionally, like Japanese wrestling was a real cradle to grave activity. You, you started yeah. in one dojo and you stayed with that company. If you didn't catch on that dojo, you tried another dojo. But you look at the top guys in New Japan at the minute, Nato didn't start out in the New Japan dojo. He was an animal Hamaguchi creation before he went to New Japan. Okada didn't. He started with Torimon and moved over to New Japan, started wrestling at 16 years old because the New Japan dojo wouldn't take him till he was 18. So he yeah. went somewhere else to find how to wrestle. So, you know, the New Japan is far more open these days, and certainly the other companies are as well, is because it's become less tribal. And certainly in the King's Road companies, in the big Japans, all Japans know as they're a lot less tribal than they used to be because of the basic need to survive and make money as a business. So... Um, Things are, like, in the other companies, a lot of interesting things happening. We don't spend enough time on it on the Troopany show because New Japan is so big these days and does so many shows, and we try and keep New Japan as that's kind of like our core audience. We try and keep you guys informed of that. But it is difficult to kind of, like, cover everything that's going on in the, New, in the Japanese industry because there's so much of it. We have tried, made a concerted effort this year. We covered Big Japan. We covered some stuff from Sendai Girls, uh, which is Sendai Girls show last week. Uh, we've tried our very best to give you a wider range of what's going on in Japan, but there's loads of stuff. And if you want to go sample things, you can talk to our partners, powerslam.tv. They've got some Japanese companies on their service, but also look at Pareso Dream on Twitter. And there's usually shows from Japan, uh, the TV shows or some TV tapings that, that are available for free. It might not last that long, but you can get a flavor of what's going on in Japan and then go find the streaming services and, and learn about these companies. Ah, oh, where were we? Next next match was Hiroki Goto, Tomohiro Ishii, and Yoshihashi. They defeated Jeff Cobb, Tomiyaki Homa, and Toru Yano in five minutes and 50 seconds. Loris Ignorables de Japan, Bushi, Shingo Takagi, and Tetsuya Nato, who we've just been talking about. They defeated Suzuki Gun, Minoru Suzuki, Taishi, Yoshinubi Kanemura in seven minutes and 28 seconds. And Minoru Suzuki has been promising he's going to unleash his wrath on New Japan for not including him in the G1 this year. Do you think Minoru's kind of got to the end of his run with New Japan Pro Wrestling, Mo? Um, I think he's still got a role to play. Um, I think the level of work that we saw from him earlier in the calendar year um, was really, really good. And uh, I think that the decision was made, and it was probably a tough decision, that maybe the schedule uh, with the amount of matches that he'd have to work um, even though it's a slightly longer period than it has been in years past, but it's still a pretty concentrated period to have um, so many intense, long singles matches. Um, and in his age as well, I think they perhaps felt that um, 
you know, it might be a bit difficult for him. But also, um, consideration of the fact that they do need to build for the future and wanting mm. to give opportunities for younger talents as well. Um, and I'm sure there were others who also felt uh, frustrated that they were left out. But I did personally expect him to be included in the, in the lineup. And I was slightly surprised he wasn't. Um, yeah. But I, I think that he's probably still got a role to play for another couple of years. He, he can certainly still go. He's, he's um, a very, very smart worker. And you know he's very different um, to a lot of the other guys that they have in this company. So he's certainly got a role to play. And uh, you know, I, I think that um, he won't be going anywhere anytime soon. I do. I think you're right. It reminds me of the line in Heartbreak Ridge, the Clint Eastwood film, where his new commanding officer says, guys like you should come in a glass cabinet with a sign on it saying, break in case of war. <laughs> <laughs> and he just, like, it, at the minute, it is just like, we need you for certain things at certain times, and that's when we're going to use you. But we need to keep you bubbling under to make sure you keep your heat all the way through the year. And I think the the mini feud he's had with Liger, and it'd be interesting to see if he does if he is Liger's final opponent at Wrestle Kingdom, because I think that'd be a very cool matchup, and it could be a very cool story to tell. Oh yeah, totally. Um, you know, the build up to Liger retirement um, has been handled quite well, I think, and uh, mm. I think certainly over the next several months, once the G One is out of the way, and obviously we go into by New Japan standards some quieter months. Um, you know, through the autumn leading up to uh, Wrestle Kingdom, um, you know, it's a chance to bring uh, Liger back to the forefront and um, maybe see some dream matches with opponents from the past, but also uh, present day um, talents who uh, maybe could do with, um, you know, big singles victories over him, possibly. Um, but it'd be good to see him pick up some victories as well. You know, it's mm. not good to see a retirement kind of tour just full of uh, defeats to one opponent after the other. Um, but, um, you know, especially if he's involved in booking his own retirement. Um, you know, he, he's somebody who booked the junior division in the past exceptionally well. And if he has that kind of creative control, um, then I'm, I'm sure he'll, he'll do a really good job of it, you know, over the next uh, five or so months. It is Super Jacob this weekend between the the shenanigans. Well, no, this weekend or next weekend between the G One shenanigans. As usual, every couple of years they run a Super Jacob, and Jushin Thunder Liger is producing and booking it this year, and it's in North America. It's not in Japan. I think it's in California. It's around the dojo base. So it'll be interesting to see they've announced more people for that. TJ Perkins from WWE, uh, or formerly of WWE Cruiserweight Champion. There's the oh. usual suspects in Yo and Show. Uh, Bandido, I think, is coming in from Ring of Honor. Liger, I. Don't think has been booked himself. A lot of people pushing for Mike Quackenbush, which I think would be absolutely awesome. Because if one person deserves to be in the Super J Cup, it's Mike Quackenbush. Mm. But that's personal take. <laughs> oh yeah, um, such an oh. underrated talent, uh, yeah. Chikara. And uh, yeah, it'd be good to see him in there. And you know, very, very talented worker. And uh, it'd be good to see him get that kind of exposure. Um, he, he's one of these talents who. Never really got into one of these, you know, uh, more kind of hip kind of indie promotions, um, you know, either in the US or over here. So perhaps didn't get quite the recognition that others have had. Um, but uh, yeah, something like that would be really good for him and it would be absolutely well deserved. Yeah, definitely. Amazing Red on his retirement tour as well. It's also in that tour. Oh, uh, yeah. All right, then back to actual G1 stuff. Bullet Club Chase Owens and Jay White defeated Jim, John Moxley 
and show to Umino in five minutes and 55 seconds. Now, we'll get back to Mr. Moxley because he had some business on the following evening. However, G1 Climax Block A match one for that particular night on night 13 was Bad Luck Farley versus Kenta in seven minutes and 22 seconds. Bad Luck Farley takes the win in a kind of cheaty fashion. I've kind of been impressed with Farley this year because he always tries really hard during the G1. As I've said every week, he's not Luthez. It's never going to be a classic, but he is going to produce something that's worth watching. And Kenta has been kind of phenomenal in his comeback to the G1. Honestly, haven't watched him wrestle that much for the last five years because I just don't watch WWE. I don't have the time. So for me, it was refreshing. It was kind of like he picked up where he left off because I watched his last match in Noah was the last time I saw him wrestle. <laughs> and then five years later, he's like, oh, he's doing the same thing again. He hasn't changed that much. But I know from yeah. the bits and pieces I did see, he changed an awful lot and has now reverted back to his old ways, which is no bad thing. What do you think of these two in the tournament so far, man? Really good. Um, as I mentioned before, I felt Kenta came into this with a point to prove. Um, not without a bit of controversy, because there were those that felt that the timing of his return, um, which coincided with the anniversary show for the death of uh, Misawa, um, wasn't wasn't the best. But um, it just so happened that New Japan did have a, um, a sizable show that same day, and um, the company felt that that would be the time to bring him in. Um, obviously, it was only shortly before. The uh, G1 kicked off proper in, um, it was Dallas, wasn't it, back in yeah. July? Mm -hmm. um, so, I mean, that, that aside, though, um, I think that he has silenced a lot of critics. You know, he was, for me, um, between 2000 and, oh, 2002 up until about 2011, 12, one of the top 10, certainly one of the top 20 workers in the world. And... You know, to see him looking like a pale shadow of himself in the WWE was sad to see, actually, because mm. now I remember, and you know, you, you know this, I, I covered his uh, Noah matches for the Wrestling Channel in the UK um, back in the mid-noughties when we aired Noah on the channel. And um, that's when he was at his absolute peak, his pinnacle. Um, his match against Kanemaru in the Tokyo Dome was just out of this world. And he had so many exceptional matches during that decade for Noah and into the early parts of this decade. Um, but injuries really caught up with him. And you, you can see the signs of that on, on, on him. You know, he was somebody who was really well put together as well. Um, but physically, um, I think the, the kind of injuries have taken its toll. But nonetheless, um, he's really um, shown that he is the well, shown signs of the Kenter of old with his performances during this tournament. Uh, some of his matches have been exceptional. Um, I wasn't the biggest fan of his match against Ibushi on the opening day, uh, but I still mm. thought it was a really good match. Uh, I thought his match against uh, matches against the likes of Tanahashi, Lance Archer even, Evil, um, and, and the Cardi especially, were superb. And, um, you know, that that's shown that, you know, he still has life left in him you know and he's not an old guy he's not even 40 yet you know and uh he's he's a guy that just perhaps was lost in the wwe um machinery in the way that they have a very prescriptive way of expecting people to work and um it was just never going to work for kenta and i'm glad that he's had a chance to show what he really can do um to that kind of wider audience who perhaps don't watch noah and 
that's why I'm, I'm really hopeful that even after this tournament, he'll have quite a key role to play for New Japan in, in the months and years to come. Um, whereas with Fale, again, um, as you mentioned, you know, he's actually had a pretty decent tournament. He's had some you know, pretty good matches. And, uh, you know, he had um, some good matches last year, even though the interference was really getting quite tiresome. Yeah. Uh, you know, luckily the Gorillas of Destiny are nowhere to be seen. Um, so so that, that's been a kind of pleasant change from 2018. And um, you know, some of his big man, small man kind of matches, um, you know, really click. And I, I thought that this was um, not one of his best G1 matches for, for Fale, but certainly a very, very acceptable one. And um, it moved along at a good pace and it was kept relatively short at seven minutes. So um, if anybody watched it and thought, no, this, this is not a good match, this is not fun, this is not passable even, um, then you might have been watching a different match to me because I, I thought it was perfectly fine. <laughs> I, will, I will point out on this point as well, it's like it's not just been the matches that have worked, it's been the commentary as well. Kevin Kelly, uh, Rocket Romero and Chris Charlton have been so good at telling stories with these tournaments, like explaining, like, if Farley goes beyond five minutes, he's probably not going to win the match. And it's yeah. stuff like that that gives it that sporting narrative that makes it easier to understand and makes it more approachable. Um, now that Chris Charlton is thankfully firmly emplaced back in the commentary booth after being relegated to translator for a couple of weeks. But yeah. uh, and the massive backlash, which I was glad to read about. <laughs> mm. Oh, yeah. And it's because it is because it's like Chris it's like, it doesn't sound like a regular wrestling commentator. Yes, that's the point. Oh, I think, absolutely. I think a lot of wrestling fans are sick of the ah Jim Ross, Joey Styles screaming down a microphone commentary style that seems to be prevalent with everyone. And a bit of calm reason is perhaps what we're looking for in New Japan. But there you go. Um, where was we? Zack Sabre Jr. and Lance Archer was the next matchup. Zack Sabre Jr. won six points and Lance Archer is back down on four. Ten minutes and 43 seconds. This was kind of the battle of the Suzuki Guns. Zach was working from underneath in the entire matchup and took a hell of a beating. But did you think you'd be think like two thirds of the way through two thirds of the way through this tournament, Mo, and think Lance Archer may be the man of the tournament so far when he was announced as to his first G one after five years? Well, certainly a surprise package for sure. Um, you know, in, in the past, I, I felt that um, Lance had shown um, glimpses of. Uh, or signs certainly that you know that there's a really actually quite talented and underrated worker um behind all of that and you know i, I, I i'm not the biggest fan of davy boy smith jr I, I think that he can on occasion have really good matches but he's quite inconsistent in my view and mm -hmm. the team i thought served a purpose in one way but also i felt that archer was for me the star of that team and you know it was kind of um take him away from having a good singles run, which it did really for several years. Um, but, you know, it, it was, you know, when I talked about inspired choices, I felt that this, um, as the tournament's gone on, has certainly been one of those. Um, the decision to include him um, would have been uh, perhaps a difficult one, given other talents they could have selected for that spot. Um, but um, he certainly hasn't let anybody down and his reputation has only been enhanced um, by a succession of really good performances in this tournament. And um, you know, I think the kind of slight tweaking of his gimmick and his packaging and presentation has helped as well. Mm. And he feels almost fresh. 
and uh, you know the way that he's worked with an assortment of different opponents. Um, you know, some who uh, like that strong style kind of um, approach to working, and others like Zach who go for a slightly different, more submission-based style. Um, and the way that he's been able to mesh with those different styles um, shows, you know, how versatile he really is. And it just goes to prove that he is an underrated worker because up until now, up until this tournament, you know, he, he really hasn't been somebody that's received a huge amount of praise as being a talented worker. And I think that finally this tournament has put the spotlight on him and, you know, he's had a chance to shine and he's really taken the opportunity. So I've really been pleased for him and pleased that um, New Japan have another you know, viable top-level single star coming out of the tournament in Lance. Mm-hmm, definitely. Uh, Zach's down on six points, but his kind of comeback has been the story of the block matches, and it's been a lot of fun trying to watch him claw his way back with another entertaining win over Archer. This was just a bit of a kind of a classic affair of big man versus small man, and guys with different skills using their skills wisely. So it was well worth a watch and definitely one of the most fun matches of the tournament if you like big, scary monsters being big and scary. <laughs> yeah, uh, I mean, and the stuff where he kind of tries to occasionally scare little five and six-year-olds just kind of adds <laughs> to the thing. <laughs> and, and then some of them literally look like they're wetting themselves, um, poor poor little ones, but uh, no. You have it, to, honestly, you have to be careful with stuff like that because I've actually seen small children scarred for life at wrestling shows. <laughs> um, I've actually... Yeah, uh, yeah. So yeah, it's uh, it's you, you do have to be careful with things like that, you know. Mm. It's, it actually is kind of damaging for some children. <laughs> oh no, you're anyway. right. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you got to put them yourself in, in in their shoes, and uh, you've got this giant seven foot monster um, <laughs> getting right in your face. Um, you know, it can be intimidating for an adult. Never mind a five or six year old. <laughs> so yeah, oh, I've um, got it. You, you have to know where to draw the line. Absolutely. There was a guy called, I think it was Simon Lancaster, wrestled in Grimsby for um, the pre, the not the current Grimsby wrestling promotion, which is called uh, BWR, which is very, very good. Picks and a lot of big names and gone back to Cleethorpes Memorial, the company that worked before them. And he was, the, they used to be like, you do the show and then you go upstairs and have a cup of tea. Come bring the cup of tea downstairs because that would make a mess in the hall and that would cost them. Right, typical British local wrestling promotion, yeah. yeah. And there was, I mean, so we're all upstairs having a cup of coffee. And Simon Lancaster, he was actually on the Impact Wrestling Talent Show, but British, oh, yeah. yeah, he did. He was one of the first episodes of that, and I was like, spat coffee out when I saw him on there because it was like, and he just was like, Gino, come on, hey, hey, and he's doing all the usual kind of like things that British wrestlers do to kind of g themselves up. And then starts coming over and doing talking to me and holding a conversation with me in that voice. Obviously, clearly didn't know who I was from Adam. <laughs> but it was just like, this is kind of terrifying. Please go away. Yeah. <laughs> I just came to watch a wrestling match and you're all up in my face and stuff. I don't like it very much. No. Anywho. <laughs> Anywho, uh, next match it was Evil. And he defeated Will Ospreay in 17 minutes and 8 seconds. 8.6 from the cage match users. This was exceptionally good. Evil has kind of snuck up on me. I didn't realize he'd won so many matches, and I kind of thought Will had won more than this. <laughs> but this was kind of what you were saying. It was a good example of the junior heavyweights breaking in and doing different things with guys, giving them different opponents, different looks, different styles of matches, breaking up what's going on in the G1 and not just having the same kind of 
bulldozer versus bulldozer kind of matches that you can sometimes get in the G1. I mean, there are classics that we've always had in the G1, but equally, you've got to refresh the game. There's some guys you're going to have to keep, like Akada, Ishii, Tanahashi, but some guys you need to change around just to give you more options. And this has been a good, beautiful example of how well this has been booked. What's your thoughts on this match? For me, it was one of the best matches of the tournament thus far. Um, it was out of this world. It was exceptional. Um, Osprey's just been on an unbelievable level, um, on a tear throughout 2019. Uh, for me, he has been the best worker in all of wrestling in 2019. Um, has had so many great matches. Um, it, it's been quite remarkable. I mean, he has his critics for sure, and his use of social media and some of the things he says. <laughs> <laughs> certainly not um you know sometimes well thought out or well considered um but you know judging him purely on what he does in the ring um he is um quite an incredible talent and this was yet another example from this year never mind this tournament but you know 2019 as a whole of where he looked just unbelievable um and, and i really enjoy the fact that they built this match up so well and the timing of um, the near falls and the reversals and the exchanges and the uh, stuff that came in the closing minutes, the final stretch, um, came together so well in the Osaka crowd. Um, that's generally a very good and receptive crowd. Um, was really coming unglued in those last several minutes. And uh, you know, it, it came off so well. And Evil picked up a big victory with the Everything is Evil. Um, but everything leading up to that point, um just built so almost perfectly and uh, mm. really enjoyed it and you know i went into the match as well thinking i like evil i think he's a really good talent but there's something missing here for me um he, he's somebody who um has a character has a gimmick um has a certain look but um the, it's not always conveyed through the work through the moves and through the psychology and um, whilst I, I still didn't quite get that through this match either, um, I, I still felt that, um, you know, certainly the match itself um, helped to elevate him. And I, I just hope he does look to focus a bit more on, on the character side of things. Um, because, I mean, if you look at somebody like Jay White, who we'll talk about later on, mm. you know, he, he is often criticised for lacking those intangibles. Um, and I think he's tried and he's made a concerted effort to try and address those this year. And in much the same vein, I'd like to see he will do the same. I think mm. that if he does that, then they'll, he'll add those little things to his work, which, um, you know, just even though there are little things, they'll add a great deal to the overall uh, package that is evil. Um, but that, that aside, exceptional match and an absolute must see if you haven't seen it for sure. Definitely. I think as well, just thinking about Jay White, we will talk about him a bit later on. I think it's a bit of a case of dress for the job you want. Jay White was pushed as a top guy, moved straight into the Intercontinental title picture from the get-go, was yeah. destined to be IWGP heavyweight champion. And I get the feeling with Evil, they didn't really know, I knew they wanted to give him a big role, but he wasn't straight away championship material. I mean, he got a bit of a push, he had a never openweight championship run for a short while but he wasn't pushed at the upper echelon level. And I think now he needs to get there, really. He needs to be his next step because Sonata's already taken that step. 
I think I think we'll see a bit more motion from him. But I kind of think he's a bit more poised than he was in like previous years, and this oh. was probably his best, most most consistent G one. Whereas in previous years, I think he got it got it together for guys like Akada and and Tanahashi and the big names, but wasn't necessarily consistent with the lower down the card talent. Whereas now he's kind of like consistent with everybody. That's kind of my take on Evil. Yeah, totally. Um, and that really is a litmus test is when you go from being carried to being somebody who can carry. Um, yeah. That's when you know the worker is truly uh, top level. And, um, you know, we, we've seen that this year from Evil that um, with more limited opponents, you know, he's still able to get good matches out of them. And, um, and that, that's why um, I, I'd like to see that development continue because. You know, in some ways, I feel that the company's grooming him to be the modern-day Tenzan, somebody who's a dependable, uh, reliable guy that if they need to elevate him into the main event picture for a, mm. a tour or two, um, they can do that and then drop him back down to the mid-card. Um, but I, I think that he has the potential to be, as I say, a bit more than that and could be quite an integral part of the company for years to come. Um, but he just needs to add those little missing bits. And if, if he does, then... You know, I think he could be a really big asset for New Japan. Okay, then move on to the next match. Mkota Ibushi quite literally surpassed his god by beating Karoshi Tanahashi with Kamagoye in 15 minutes and 53 seconds. This is 9.03 from the cage match users, which will tell you how well regarded this match was. It's a different Ibushi this year. He's been separated from Kenny Omega for obvious reasons. So the Golden Lovers are no more. It's more about him and the spotlight has been put on him. And he's had to change his style. He's calmed down a lot. He's not taking the risks he used to. But he's having perhaps better matches than he has had in the past. Purely because he's keeping it between the ropes and having straight up wrestling matches. And he always had that talent. Whereas in previous years, he had the, t- had the tendency to fly off of balconies and rub fireworks on his chest. He doesn't need it. And it's proven to be more compelling, I think. What are your thoughts, man? Yeah, he is um, really coming into his own now, and uh, you know, really coming across like the complete package um, and a complete worker to boot. He is somebody that has always been, um, well, for about the last decade or so, very athletically talented guy who can work very exciting matches. Um, but to be a somebody who potentially could be the heir apparent to Tanahashi, even though he's not all that much younger than him, um, <laughs> and um, you know, kind of fill, fill that kind of spot, um, he, he's somebody who, who needed to round himself out a bit more. And I think the fact that um, Mega headed off to um, greener pastures um, was a blessing in disguise because. You know, instead of um, having that ongoing story about his um, kind of pairing his tandem with Omega, um, instead it's more been about him. And um, obviously um, had to take some time out early in the year because of the um, injury issues following on from the match with Osprey at Wrestle Kingdom. Um, you know, but he, he's come back um, perhaps having thought through about the way that he needs to adapt his style um, you know, he is, what, 37, 38 now? Yeah, um, yeah. So he he's will have to... Oh, yeah. I mean, he, <laughs> he just... He, I am insanely jealous of this man. Um, 
because <laughs> he looks no older now than he did when I first saw him about oh, 12, 13 years ago. Um, and he looks absolutely remarkable and impeccable. Um, but yeah, he, he um, you know, certainly will, though, over the next four or five years, almost surely um, slow down ever so little. And that's the point at which he needs to start adapting his style um, mm. so he can have a longer career. Um, because the danger is having worked such a physical style, um, that kind of high flying style for so long, um, that injuries can take their toll. And we saw it with, as I mentioned before, Kenta, you know, he was remarkable um, injuries caught up with him. And um, he isn't, I mean, even though he's had a great G1, he isn't the worker he was. And I think that with Ibushi, um, if he is smart in the way he adapts his style, he, he can be an exceptional worker for a good seven, eight, nine years, even yeah. from this point on, well in into his mid-40s. I'm going to say, in much the same way, his opponent in this match, Hiroshi Tanahashi, who is literally held together with duct tape and hope, <laughs> and uh, still manages to pull out five-star matches on a weekly basis. Just, I'm going to have the best wrestling match of the year today, and does it. Um, so it can be done. You can carry your you can carry your career forward without all the risks that Ibushi has been taking in the past. And, you know, Tanahashi in this tournament, it's like he's delivered three high-fly flows, and that's been the story of the tournament. His, the story of his tournament is he's not doing moves. <laughs> so, you know, yeah. it's, it's easy to get to make life easier for yourself if you want to, but it's having to want to, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. It's about then, you know, putting a great greater emphasis on psychology over the athleticism. And, you know, Osprey, who we talked about earlier on, will have to make that kind of decision as he gets older um, or when the injuries really start to um, take their toll. And we saw it with Kabashi, who's my all-time favourite. Um, mm. he, he had to tone his style down. He had to adapt it um, to have his career go into his 40s. And if he didn't do that, um, you know, his career would have been pretty much done by his early 30s. I mean, even by the age of 25, 26, he was being told by doctors he had the knees of 80 year old, uh, an 80-year-old. Um, and that's because he, he worked such a um, physical style, even at not, not just TVs and the big t uh, bigger shows, but even at the regular house shows uh, for all Japan back in the early 90s, late 80s. And um, mm. you know, that, that really took its toll by the time you know, he was, as I say, in his mid-20s. So he had to adapt. And all of the great workers, really, when you look at them, do have to adapt. And um, you know, I'm sure that Bushi will. Uh, I'm sure that uh, you know, he, he will feel that he's, he's got a lot more to give this business. And uh, if, if he's smarter in the way he does that and learn from Tanahashi, who is his idol, um, then you know, I, I think that um, you know, he, he will have many years left. And just, just on that point, um, it, was, it was quite nice at the end, obviously, with Bushi winning this contest, which, again, I thought was exceptional. And every bit, for, for me, every bit as good as the Evil versus Osprey match. Um, that nice moment where Tanahashi just um, had a quiet word at the end um, into Bushi's ear. Mm -hmm. and, um, you know, had probably some uh, nice things to say, uh, which is really nice to see, because it's that kind of passing the torch moment, even though this was just another G1 match, ostensibly. Um, but uh, no, that that was really really cool to see, and um, hopefully they'll make something of this as well, and uh, they'll have a, an even bigger, more high-profile match um, later on down the line. 
and um, you know maybe maybe that can be used to elevate Ibushi even further. I think I think so. I mean, it's um, it's be interesting to see where where they both go from here because Tanner's looking less and less necessary, and I think that's perhaps not necessarily a bad thing for Tanner because he kind of got pushed into the forefront this time last year when he was needed again. Um, even if it was only as a transitional champion, you know, his G1 win was a six-month story to take the title off Kenny Omega, only to lose it to Jay White a month later. But it was he was the needed person to to end Omega's reign. They couldn't do it with anyone else. They couldn't go straight back to Okada again. They had to go around the houses to get back on Okada. But he would, there wasn't anyone else really who could do the job. But it had to be the veteran who could outsmart Omega. And that was the story that they told. And it was a very successful story too. Um, but... Tanner's not necessarily looking like the lonely person at the top that they need all the time. There's this backup for him, and his career will last longer. The more the more guys he gets over, the longer he can stay at the top as well. It's it's not a selfish move to get these people working for, is it? No, that's right, and you know that, that that's certainly a lesson for the WWE, <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, who relied for so long on John Cena, and then as soon as he decided that actually maybe The Rock um, had the right idea about you know looking at Hollywood and you know, taking on a different line of work that's less punishing on the physique and, and the body, um, then that, that certainly left the WWE in a vulnerable position. And, and they you know, you know, certainly put all of their eggs for so many years in that one basket. And he served them well, but he's no longer really around and um, they are struggling without him. And, mm. uh, you know, but... It, it, you know, in contrast, New Japan um, you know, certainly doesn't take that approach and is always looking to the future. And um, that's, that's why we are seeing some very smart booking in this tournament. Um, they are clearly trying to book for the next several months leading into Wrestle Kingdom, but even into 2020 as well, um, with the way that um, they are certainly lining certain people up for um, more high-profile runs and high spots on the, on the uh, on, on the roster for the coming weeks and months ahead. Indeed. So we move to move to the main event of night 13, which was Sanada and he defeats Kazuchika Okada with a moonsault with 13 seconds to spare in 29 minutes and 47 seconds. Okada took Sanada past that half hour limit in a match earlier this year. Kazuchika Okada versus Sanada has kind of been a mini feud of the year and it's worked really well. And it's established Sanada in that upper echelon that we talked about in the same way Evil hasn't quite got there yet. Sonata's kind of changed a little bit. We talked earlier in the tournament where he didn't seem so, because he's been losing matches, he didn't seem so vital. He didn't seem so urgent as he did last year. He didn't seem so vicious. And we were saying maybe he needs to change things up. Maybe that was a bit premature. But he certainly had a cracking match with Okada. But it's difficult not to have a good match with Kazuchika Okada right now. He's looking imperious and could be one of the best wrestlers in the world. Well, I'd argue he's the best wrestler, one of the best wrestlers in the world, if not the best wrestler in the world right now. Um, but I think it's like Akada, when he's in these kind of moves, just doesn't doesn't do anything wrong. And Sonada is naturally talented enough just to make it work the way he needs to. This was a corky main event. What were your thoughts on this one, man? Oh, it was, yeah. Um, just, just as a minor correction, um, the previous match I didn't have quite, even though I said it was just every bit as good as the Osprey match, um, it, I had it actually slightly below. Sorry, I was getting my. I actually rate for, for those that are not aware. I do um, do star ratings for the G1. Um, I did give that preceding match, the Ibushi match, um, a slightly lower rating than the Osprey match. But 
it was this match, the Sonata versus the Carter match, that I did give the same rating to um, as the Osprey match. This was exceptional again. Really, really great match. Um, you know, the, these two seem to have that kind of chemistry with one another because, you know, when they had that match a few months ago, again, outstanding. And, um, you know, Sonada is somebody who, again, much like Evil, is just bubbling under. Um, but with the right booking, the right um, matches, the right opponents, and maybe just, just those little tweaks to his character and, um, you know, the way he's presented uh, could step up to that level above and become a bona fide headliner. Um, and he certainly went toe-to-toe and felt every much um, at the same level as his much more superior uh, kind of uh, opponent in terms of name and uh, reputation in the Carter. Mm. This, this was um, a match that I liked the booking of because uh, for the first time, it seemed like we could have a, a draw with the points being shared. <laughs> and then yeah. right at the end, um, he finally got the uh, win with the skull end. And um, that was um, just... Um, just uh, sorry, no, it wasn't the skull end. It was actually the moon salts, wasn't it? Um, yeah. And um, that that was really good booking because uh, everyone by that point probably thought, no, this is going full thirty minutes. Uh, but no, it didn't. And uh, the drama just built and built in those final few minutes. And um, it wasn't one of these long, near thirty-minute matches that um, was full of you know surplus bump at the first ten, fifteen minutes. Um, it, it all seemed to have some purpose to it all the way through. Um, the pace of it was good. I never started to, started to drift off um, at any point. It held my attention. And that's what a truly great match does. That goes for that length of time. And all credit to both guys um, because, you know, this is a match that preceded, sorry, that followed two absolutely exceptional matches. So yeah. you could have forgiven the crowd for being burnt out as, as much as the Akada... Osaka crowd is great. Um, with those two matches, with Ibushi versus Tanahashi and Evil versus Osprey, um, most other crowds would have been okay. We're we're done. Our energy has been expended too much on the other two, so um, they would have been subdued. But not this crowd. They were absolutely at crescendo for the uh, final stage of this one. And as I just say that's all credit to the two two talents involved. Yeah, Osaka's somewhere special, isn't it? Osaka, Yoho, the crowds there are just... They have their favourites. They cheer for people you don't expect, but they love professional wrestling at the highest standard, and they're just on another planet when it comes to participation and excitement. And one of the reasons why you get so many five-star matches in Osaka, Yoho, is because of the crowd being into it, and you feel that presence, even watching on television 5,000 miles away. I can see how cool it would be to be there. So we move on to night 14, which was also at uh, Osaka Joe Hall. Sorry, Eddie on Arena. It will always be Osaka Joe Hall to me. Get it uh, right. Get it right. <laughs> so the opening tag was Ren Narita and Shota Umino. They defeated Toa Henry and Yui Iwamura in six minutes, six seconds. Lance Archer, Minoru Suzuki and Zack Sabre Jr. Your Suzuki Gun. They defeated Los Ignorables de Hapon, Bushi Eel and Sanada. Bullet Club, Bad Luck File, Chase Owens, Yujiro Takahashi, 
you chase Owens away. I've given some stick to in this tournament because he's been a bit useless. <laughs> but in a good comedy, old-fashioned Memphis way, they defeated Hiroshi Tanahashi, Kota Ibushi, and Tommy Akahoma. And Kazuchika Okada, Will Ospreay, and Yoshihashi defeated Clark Connors, Carl Fredericks, and Kenta in the, the opening tag. So we moved on to Block B night. Tomohiro Ishii defeated Tori Yano in a match rated by the cage match users, users as 7.12. That's right, folks. Toriano was actually in a great wrestling match. Not just a good entertaining wrestling match. Not just cheating and death by roll of an entertaining wrestling match. This was actually quite brilliant. Nine minutes and 36 seconds. Ishii, for me, personally, is my pick for wrestler of the year so far. His work in um, uh, the G1 has been outstanding, but it always is. If you want to read more about it, you should read uh, the Vulture Hound website of which I am a features editor, and Laura over there has written a story entitled The Love Affair Between Ishii and the G1, uh, and you should read it because it's, she's gone into in great detail and in-depth about why Ishii is an awesome G1 tournament wrestler and why he loves the G1 so much. And Toriyano actually showing what a great wrestler he can be when he needs to be because he couldn't out-cheat his partner in chaos. He had to do it the old-fashioned way, and he nearly got there a couple of times. What's your thoughts on this one, Mo? Yeah, this was so, so good. Um, you know, for those that think that Yano is just a comedy worker and is very limited, uh, watch this match and then you'll be proven spectacularly wrong. Um, <laughs> you know, every shortcut in the book, um, he pulled out in this one. And, um, you know, Ishii kind of held his own as well in keeping up with that kind of Toro Yano style. Um, and um, it, it was just entertaining from beginning to end. And uh, you know, if, if they went double the time, I, I'm, I'm sure you know it, it would have been equally as entertaining for the remaining eight, nine and a half minutes because um, you know they, they just mesh together so well. I mean, issues just as you say, having a an absolutely exceptional tournament. Just um, four and a half, four and three quarter star star matches pretty much every time he's out in this tournament in the singles uh, contest. And, um, you know, no matter the opponent, he just pulls it out, you know, hits it out of the park. And um, as you say, he's just most made for this tournament. And I just, um, I remember mentioning this last year when I was on the show um, that they really should let Ishii go all the way, even if it's not to win the tournament, to at least get to a final. Yeah, um, because he has been an absolute superstar in the G1 um, for the last several years. I mean, you know, the, the G1 I've been watching, as you know, for many, many years. Um, but in the last uh, five or so years, um, the quality has been absolutely exceptional. And key to that, um, amongst two or three others, has been Ishii. He's been mm. so consistent. And this year, possibly... Um, at a level above anything we've seen in previous years. And he had hit a very high standard in 2018 and 2017. Um, but th this year, it's just remarkable how high quality his work has been, show after show when he's appeared, um, just just um, frighteningly good. I just, um, I'm, I'm at a loss to explain how somebody can, be, can make it so effortlessly good. Uh, that's how good he is, uh, and that's um, 
remarkable given his age. I mean, he's, he's what, 44 now? Um, yeah. So, you know, my worry has always been, OK, this will be the year that age starts to catch up with his G. But no, this is not that year. He's been better than ever. And, uh, you know, Yano, to his credit as well, um, has had a really good tournament. You know, lots of really fun matches. Yeah, and again, Ishii is not a New Japan product. He was a product of war with Junichiro Tenryu. He was his first mentor, and he moved on to Ricky Chosu, who was his second mentor, before he signed with New Japan Pro Wrestling. So, you know, he's a guy who's had to find his way in this company, and it's taken him a long while, but by God, he's taken the opportunities he's got now. Um, and I'm with you. I think he should get to the final. I don't think he should win it, but I certainly think he should be an awesome finalist, um, especially if it was Okada. Okada versus Ishii at Budokan Hall would be something else to watch. Right, then we move on to the next matchup. Tai Chi, who, well, you all know my opinions on Tai Chi, <laughs> defeats Juice Robinson in 12 minutes and 28 seconds. Tai Chi is trying hard. I give him more credit, but he still just annoys me. So there you go. Um, Juice has been awesome in this tournament. Just going back to the Yano match. It continues a story we talked about last week. The straight-ahead wrestlers like Ishii and Robinson could deal with Toriyano. The emotionally-led wrestlers like Moxley and Nato couldn't, which might tell you what will happen with his next few matches. You know, it's the, the guys that could handle Yano were the guys who were straight ahead and saw through his shtick. The guys who were emotionally-led couldn't beat him. And also, looking forward to uh, Tetsuya Nato versus Toriyano for the Intercontinental Championship at King of Pro Wrestling. Maybe. We can hope. Anyway, Tai Chi and Juice Robinson, what's your thoughts on this one? Well, by Tai Chi standards, I thought um, this was actually almost a good match. Um, no, and no, you have to really give credit where credit's due. That's a lot down to Juice. Um, no, I thought he carry the action through the bout uh, quite well, you know, Tai Chi, despite being um, the product of uh, Kawada, you know, he was uh, trained by him, um, certainly hasn't ever hit the heights <laughs> of his uh, mentor, uh, and that's an understatement. Um, but uh, nonetheless, um, you know, I thought that Juice did about as much as he could with Tai Chi, and um, it was it was in the end I, th- I thought um overall an acceptable match and uh, you know he's in a quiet taste it's probably fair to say he's quite <laughs> cheap. but um yeah I, I thought by his standards that this was one of the better matches he's had in the tournament and yes. uh, right. juice moves on and uh no juice has had a really really good tournament and uh no i was i was a bit unsure about him getting rid of the dreadlocks uh but uh no, he, his work certainly hasn't suffered as a result of that. So uh, that, that's been good to see as well. We haven't talked that much about Juice's hair on this show, alarmingly so, because this is the show where we talk about hair more than wrestling. But um, <laughs> Juice's, yeah, we, there was an undercurrent from Christie and from uh, from Chelsea that white boy dreads was not a good look. <laughs> they were quite happy. But uh, yes, it's uh, it's been a refreshing change for Juice Robinson, and he looks like a main event star that even when he was US champion, he didn't look like. So I'm oh. very pleased with his progress. Yeah. Next matchup was Hiroki Goto and Jeff Cobb in a um, big boys matchup, as they said on commentary. 11 minutes and 20 seconds. 
seen better from Jeff Cobb, seen better from Roroki Goto in this tournament. It wasn't dreadful by any stretch of the imagination. When these two get together, they kind of have some magic together, but it didn't seem to have the same kind of magic I've seen from the pair in the past. It was more of a like, we've got to get through this to get to the next match. And it is getting late in the tournament. People are getting tired, but it didn't seem to have the snap that I've seen from these two guys before. Would you agree? Yeah, no, I'd agree. Um, I, I thought I thought overall it was still a good match. And um, yeah. I'm, not, I'm not knocking the effort, but it, it, yeah. I think I think when you have so many matches in such a short period of time, sometimes you're going to have an off night. You just can't help it. And I think it just was just this was 90% of what I've seen from them before, if you see what I mean. Yeah, no, totally. And, um, you know, if we think back to, um, you know, Goto's preceding match before this one, it was against Ishii, um, you know, which was a very grueling match for Goto and indeed for Ishii. Um, and, um, you know, that, that, that was certainly kind of tough for him. Um, and, and indeed, um, Cobb had uh, quite a, tough uh, physically tough match with uh, Shingo as well mm-hmm. um, so you know they, they both came off that um, those preceding matches um, a few nights earlier and uh, maybe they weren't quite fully recovered from that um, and, and Jeff Cobb has kind of veered a little bit in terms of consistency um, you know, some nights he's looked absolutely amazing other nights almost ordinary um, I mean, I love Jeff Cobb. I think he's an exceptional talent. Um, but this obviously is his first G1. And um, to be working um, this style, um, this kind of high profile level of uh, event um, every few nights and uh, with this calibre of opponent, um, there is a lot of pressure attached to it as well. Mm. Um, let's not forget. So uh, maybe all of those factors combined mean that you know there'll be nights like this where you know maybe you know in the back you put together something obviously they, they knew they weren't able to go out there and have a 20 minute match so they knew they had to work something shorter but we've seen plenty of matches of a similar duration that have been so so good um but this this wasn't one of them but nonetheless uh, this was good fun um but I, i'm sure that uh you know th- these two will have um one or two more better, much better matches um, to close out the tournament for sure. Definitely. Right then, we set to the semi-main event, which is Jay White. He defeated John Moxley, handing Moxley's first non-WWE, sorry, first defeat since he left the WWE as Dean Ambrose some three or four months ago. 15 minutes and 15 seconds. This match was really, really good, and it shows you the strengths that Jay White has as a main event player, how he's developed. If you look back to where he was at the last G1 Climax show, uh, just going to do on Climax Tournament when he was still kind of getting there. He was like 80% there, and now he's a full-on badass monster heel. And John Moxley explored that as best he could in this particular matchup in 15 minutes and 15 seconds. White's story for this G1 is he lost three, he has to win six on the bounce, and he takes another one against the grain. Moxley has shone in this tournament. It took him a while to get going, I think, two or three matches, but I've not seen a bad match out of the last three. The first two I didn't quite gel with, but Moxley has kind of got his groove in New Japan, knows where he's got to be and knows where he's got to do. This was a good other example of two guys at the top of their game doing a good job as far as I'm concerned. What were your thoughts, Mo? Yeah, no, I thought, I thought in the end it actually ended up being a really good match. Um, with Jay White, as I talked about before, you know, he's tried to focus a bit more on those intangibles and uh, 
it's those little things. I mean, technically, he's been a, a very good worker for several years now. Um, but obviously, being elevated to the levy has been um, over the last uh, 12, 18 months. Um, he's needed to just round himself off as a worker um, to come across to convey himself as a bona fide main eventer. And, you know, he was in the ring in this match with a guy that is coming across um, since his WWE departure as a super charismatic wrestler in John Moxley. And, um, you know, if this match took place maybe 18 months ago, Moxley would have overshadowed Jay White um, in terms of mm. personality in the ring. Uh, not not the case at all in this one. They they came across as equals, um, which shows how, how much Jay White has come along. Um, I mean, I, I, it's a it, it's a bit unfortunate almost that Jay White happens to be around at the same time that you know these all time great workers in Nakada and Tanahashi also happen to share the same ring with him. Because mm-hmm. um, in any other time, um, I think Jay White would be seen as, as a, a greater worker and a bigger deal than he is. But um, unfortunately, yeah. um, he to an extent is overshadowed by these quite incredible talents um, that are also in the same company at the same time. But nonetheless, yeah. you know, he, he's certainly worked exceptionally hard. And, um, you know, we saw evidence of that in this match. Um, you know, he, he certainly worked um, the heel role really well here. And, um, and I, I thought, no, Moxie will pick up a win. Um, but obviously, uh, for White, he, he needed to win here to keep his hopes alive, as you say. And uh, he did just that. And, um, you know, the uh, win as well was a clean win. Um, the Bloody Sunday and then the Blade Runner. And, um, you know, that's two losses on the bounce for Moxley. Obviously, one of those was Kantat loss. But, uh, you know, it just makes it interesting because this looked like Moxley was running running away with with this um, block B. Um, but now, you know, the, other, the, the chasing back is closing in on him and uh, it's becoming interesting again. But, uh, no, the, the match itself was a lot of fun. Yeah, definitely. I mean, if you look at it uh, from the points point of view, there's only one person left after this night on four points, which we'll get to in a second. Everyone else was on eight or six, so everyone else was still alive in the tournament at the end of night 14, except for Shingo Takagi, who lost his match to Tetsuya Nato in 27 minutes and 15 seconds in an absolute thriller. This was, I think Rocky Romero said, if you watch Shingo Takagi, he said it is a curtain sellout, which for those of you who don't know the parlance of the business means that the wrestlers are there to watch him wrestle. You know, they will go out of their way to go see his match because they're always they always know something special will happen. So Shingo versus Tetsuya Nato was something special. They both trained together at Animal Hamaguchi's gym. This was a dream, dream matchup and the kind of thing you only get in the G1 because the rest of the year, all the wrestlers are kind of like locked by their specific groupings. You know, Chaos guys don't wrestle Chaos guys unless there's a championship on the line. And LIJ guys don't wrestle LIJ guys unless there's a championship on the line or is a tournament on the go. So this is kind of a very special occasion. And the match lived up to the hype because these guys are cut of a similar cloth, though they don't take the same approach. NATO will absorb punishment all night long. So will Takagi. And it was a matter of who gave first. That was the story of the match. With a bit of frustration on Takagi's part as NATO drove him nuts in the first five minutes. But it was a brilliant story, brilliantly told by two master craftsmen. What's your thoughts on this match, Mo? Amazing, amazing match. Um, for me, every bit as good as um, Sonata versus Ikada and Osprey versus Evil from the night before. 
And though a lot of fans felt that this was the best of the three and that were just reeled off. Um, I rated all three as four and three quarter stars for those star rating geeks out there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, it just it, it's mind blowing in a way, because I think back to past years where, you know, some years I wouldn't even have three, four and three quarter star matches in the whole year. And yet here I rated three matches at four and three quarters on two successive nights in the month of August. And uh, that that's just remarkable. This was, um, you know, re- re- really, really uh, pleasing for me as a longtime fan of Dragon Gate to see Shingo come through that company um, you know, from day one as a rookie in that promotion um, and obviously departed Dragon Gate last year. And, um, you know, there will be certain people that thought, OK, well, you know, he was a big fish in a small pond, but let's see if he can prove himself in New Japan. And I thought that this was possibly his best ever match in New Japan. Mm. Um, you know, he, he really, really showed what he's capable of, show the kind of calibre of work he was in Dragon Gate and shows that he can hang at the very top level because Naito has been booked as you know a top guy on and off for several years in New Japan. And he came across not like somebody who's a level below that's performing out of his skin and overperforming. He seemed like like an equal. And, um, you know, th- this again, you know, like we've talked about with a couple of other individuals, um, you know, is, is a promising sign that here's another person that the company can book in main event matches on big shows. And that that individual, and Shingo Takaji in this case, would not look out of place at all. And mm. uh, you know, this, this also was good to see because there were, I noticed online that you know certain people were questioning NATO um, to say, well, is he is he as good as he was? Well, you know, this is the evidence to say absolutely he is. Um, this was exceptional. It's just such a joy to watch. Um, just a little bit of minor nitpicking. I wasn't the biggest fan of um, Kevin Kelly and his uh, Destino calls because <laughs> uh, sometimes he does tend to overdo it. And again, you know, some people absolutely love it, but for me, a bit detract- uh, detracting. But you know, let, let's not lose sight of the fact this was an absolutely exceptional match. And again, if you haven't seen it, just go and watch it now. Oh yeah, just go watch the whole G one like twice. You <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> won't be disappointed. Um, Naito versus Takagi is just—it kind of sums up what the G one's about this year. It's like an outsider who's come into the company, kind of at the end of his career, but also that doesn't necessarily mean he's a bad wrestler. He's got all this experience about to build a match together. You got Naito, who's again come in from an outside point of view but really he's kind of been the face of the company for a long while now so you have this kind of similar philosophy but a clash of philosophies and everything just perfectly meshes together just what you need in this kind of spot in this kind of match in this kind of tournament and Shingo has been a breath of fresh air uh, to New Japan Pro Wrestling especially when in the junior heavyweight division because there's not Many guys like him at junior heavyweights. For those of you who don't know, Dragon Gate doesn't really have juniors and heavies. They just have wrestling. So Shingo was kind of like a big, like you said, a big fish in small pond. But he's kind of, as they say, on the 100-kilogram limit, nudge, nudge, wink, wink, <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, of the junior heavyweight, which means he can work in both. And 
I think it's reflective of the fact there's still the junior heavyweight stigma. He's not going to win the tournament nor get many points, but he has been an incredible addition to the tournament and has proven some incredible matches. So have you got a pick for the winner of the blocks, though, Mo? Well, um, before the tournament, I, I expected NATO to uh, win block B. And um, I also expected, um, I expected Ibushi to win block A. Um, but now I'm not so sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, I, I still think NATO will go on to win Block B, um, but on Block A, um, yeah, I, I think it's between Okada and Ibushi. Um, yeah, I, I can't quite tell. I mean, the others that are bubbling under, I mean, Evelyn Kenta, um, that you know, I'd be absolutely shocked if either of those two make it to the final. But it, it's not beyond the realms of possibility. Um, well, I say that I've not actually not checked the uh, night fifteen results. I am going to watch the show as as we record this um, l- later after we've uh, completed this podcast. But um, so it, it could be that Evil or Kenter have exited. Um, well, are out of the running as well. But um, yeah, I, I think it's probably Ibushi and um, NATO for me. How about yourself? Yeah. I'm still, I'm obviously being the Okada man and the chaos guy, I'm going to have to go with Okada for block A. But I've always said that for the last four years, that Okada's going to win it as champion at some point. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Block B is more interesting, though. I like Moxley versus Okada in the final. That would be an awesome final, but I'm not sure how long they've got Moxley for, Mm. um, which would maybe play into that. Akada versus Jay White for the final be an interesting matchup, and Nato versus Akada is obviously the classic tale to tell. But do you want to save that for Wrestle Kingdom, or do you want to give them the no limit, no time limit match on this night, and then set yourself up for Wrestle Kingdom because that's what the G1 Climax final is about. If you give them enough of a taster that it's going to be absolutely amazing come January, maybe you sell some more tickets, but you also might be giving it away for free. Not free, but you know what I mean? Giving it away early if you have to repeat that matchup. Um, so I think it's a tricky one. But again, that's what New Japan are good at. They keep us guessing, don't they? Yeah, they do. Yeah, that's right. And um, I, li- I like the way that they block B. They have this kind of one person that was running away with it. And then he's uh, had the successive losses in Moxley and uh, chasing back have closed in. And uh, you know, night 16 will be interesting. Because um, uh, at that point, you know, we could have um, two or three people level on points um, at the top of Lot B. So, uh, yeah, it, it certainly is warming up very, very nicely. And as we know from previous years as well, um, as we go into those final uh, couple of nights before the uh, final, which in this in this occasion will be on the twelfth of August, um, we will see some. Absolutely outstanding matches. We've seen a tournament full of incredible matches already, but I think they're saving some. Some of these individuals are saving their absolute best for those final two or three nights, and uh, absolutely looking forward to those this coming weekend as we record this. It is. It's going to be absolutely awesome. Right. Well, that concludes on our coverage for nights thirteen and night fourteen. I'd like to thank Mo Chatter for being my guest today. Where can we find you on your social medias, there, Mo? 
Um, Twitter is the best place to find me um, at Mo Chatra, and um, I don't tweet quite as often as I should. Um, but um, when I do, um, then I try to express the odd view or two on wrestling, and uh, that's the best place to find me. Excellent. You can find me at Show Flown Star. You can find the show at Troopany Show on Twitter. You can find us on Facebook, The Troopany Show, and on Patreon, where you can keep us free forever for everyone please go check out our sponsors and partners that would be indie empire magazine new edition coming out shortly and also powerslam.tv where you can use our code mulletwatch and get a free month on a year's subscription where you can find all sorts of cool japanese wrestling which is what you should be watching all right thank you very much for your time today we'll be back in a couple of days when we get closer and closer to the g1 final at budokan hall take care and we'll speak to you soon Thank you very much. Bye.